Welcome to Cross-Border Tax Talks, where we discuss the latest trends in international taxation, from Pillar 2 to latest developments on sustainability. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's International Tax Services Global Leader. The Pillar 2 engine from PwC is a game changer for Pillar 2 modeling, provision, and compliance calculations. Built on a graph system utilizing over 20 years of international tax technology, this centralized rules engine is developed by a team of Pillar 2 tax experts from around the globe. PwC's Pillar 2 engine is currently available as a service and will be licensable in July 2024. On this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks, we're recording our first podcast from PwC's New York studio, where I'm excited to have Heather Horn on the podcast. Heather is PwC's Assurance National Thought Leader and host of the appropriately titled PwC Accounting Podcast, which can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Heather, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. It's nice to be on. I have to say it's my first opportunity to be a guest. So I'm a little nervous, but excited to be here. And for (laughs) listeners, I actually was just the subject of your interview on the accounting Mm -hmm. podcast. I would encourage people to to check out your podcast. And I will tell you, Heather, I feel more comfortable asking the questions (laughs) than answering them. Uh, But tell tell listeners a little bit about your podcast, because you're cranking out two of these a week and have got great numbers. So tell us a little bit about your podcast and uh, how you go about it. Yep. Happy to share. So as uh, you are aware, we cover a wide variety of topics and we started out covering, not surprisingly, accounting, really focusing in on accounting standards and otherwise. And then uh, actually when COVID happened, we suddenly a huge demand for a ton of information. And with all of the change we were going through just as businesses, we actually launched a second series, sub-series, that was called What's Next? Because everyone was trying to figure out what is next. And then from that, we've really moved into a lot of uh, emerging issues, mostly focused now on sustainability. And what we've kind of fallen into is on Tuesdays, we talk about accounting and accounting related topics. And then on Thursdays, we talk about emerging issues, as I said, mostly sustainability, but we also talk about the economy. We talk about OECD pillar two. Mm -hmm. That's the one. uh, Tune into that one. Exactly. Your listeners definitely need to make sure they turn into. So it's, it's really fun. And it's been a great opportunity to meet so many different people in the firm and then in other, you know, other uh, related businesses and um, standard setters and otherwise. I've enjoyed that as well throughout, you know, having some guests besides just my pointy headed international <laughs> tax partners um, on, on the podcast and your podcast, you don't do a video version of. So we're actually in our New York studio audience or New York studio um, with the cameras and you can yes. find the video version <laughs> on YouTube. So I, I appreciate you going along with that. All right. So Heather, your team is responsible for PwC's thought leadership and technical expertise in one of the most rapidly evolving areas of reporting right now, sustainability disclosures. To kick off our conversation, can you share with us why sustainability reporting is getting so much attention right now? Yeah, so it's really interesting. And again, this kind of all, I think, is grew out of what we saw in, in 2020 and otherwise. But in for people in the U.S., in 2021, the then-acting SEC Commissioner Alison Lee put out a request for comment on uh, climate disclosure rules. And then we saw, actually, in March of 2022, the SEC put out a proposal, uh, an actual rules proposal for, for climate disclosure. So that was, I think, for a lot of U.S. companies, sort of the first introduction that, wait a minute, 
required reporting mm -hmm. may be coming. Prior to that, all sustainability reporting was really on a voluntary basis. And we see, I actually talked to a lot of companies where, you know, I'm actually surprised to find out they've been reporting on this stuff for 15 or more years. But there's been a huge amount of growth and interest from investors because there's a view that a sustainable business ultimately is going to be a more profitable business. And so we, together with that interest from investors, I mentioned the SEC, and then as we're going to get more into, we've also seen a growth of requirement, required reporting. And I think that's what's really brought it into the mainstream is these companies that now, instead of it being sort of the sideline that you're really, oh, thinking about um, how, you know, what are, what good are we doing as the company now is really a more key part of their business. Right. And we're going to talk about some of the tax kind of disclosures yes. <laughs> and the sustainability as well. But this is just, this, this just additional compliance requirements is just a constant theme, obviously with pillar two and, um, the FSR, the foreign subsidies regulations in Europe. So we're just going to unpack some of this. And so with that background, Heather, can you give us an overview of what sustainable, what sustainability reporting regulations are coming into play in various jurisdictions around the world? Because we've got listeners from all over the globe and obviously many, if not most operate in the U S but certainly Europe and some other countries I know have been even more focused on this. Yes. And I'm glad you brought up the tax point because I do think this is not just a topic for people either in sustainability or we've been really bringing in the controllers, but as we're going to get into more, there are a lot of actually tax implications of all of this. So definitely keep listening. But I mentioned, uh, I started with the proposed SEC climate rules. We have not seen those come out. Um, we keep frequently saying they may be eminent, but as of this time when we're recording, they're not out. But we have actually started seeing states propose rules. And so California does have actually, they passed in October of 2023, four climate disclosure rule, or three climate disclosure and one other um, ESG related rule, two of which I would really highlight, one related to GHG required disclosures, and one requiring disclosures. And what is that acronym? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> you asked me the same question. I did, I did ask did. you the same question. <laughs> GHG's greenhouse gas emissions. Okay. So when you're hearing about the, the uh, planet warming and trying to keep it below 1.5 degrees Celsius, which you know, even I think tax people are reading the newspaper and, and probably seeing sure. those new, that news. Yeah. They're talking about greenhouse gas emissions. So California is going to require companies to um, above a certain size billion in revenue and that do business in California to disclose their greenhouse gas emissions starting in 2026, reporting on 2025 information. The other big one there is um, they're going to be required to disclose what's called the tax task force on climate-related financial disclosure. Okay. And there's 11 principles there that they'll have to disclose as well. So that's one that I think has gotten a lot of attention in the U.S. But to your point internationally, probably the biggest news out there is that in the EU, they have a directive, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, CSRD. Yeah. And I know you and tax are well familiar yeah. with the EU directives. And this one will require reporting by both EU companies, but it has an aspect that we say is extraterritorial because it brings in as well companies doing business in the EU that are headquartered outside the EU. So very important for your global listeners. And then in addition, most of your listeners will be familiar with the um, IASB and IFRS accounting standards. Mm -hmm. While the IFRS Foundation formed a sister entity to the IASB, the ISSB, 
international sustainability uh, standards. Okay. And um, so that's the ISSB is the International Sustainability Standards Board. And they also have issued standards that countries around the world are looking at making mandatory. And we've already seen a few companies announce that. Yeah, so the CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting, as you mentioned, is much more broad in terms of the overall framework and disclosure topics required than, I say, simply climate yes. disclosures, not to say that those are, are simple. So let's double-click on CSRD, as I know that's you know, one of the big lifts that companies are facing right now. And you had mentioned this, but maybe you can just to help level set and unpack why is this important for non-EU-based companies? And this is a question, you know, Heather, we get on Pillar 2, like, hey, the U.S. isn't implementing right. Pillar 2. Why do we, why should a U.S. multinational be paying attention to Pillar 2? Well, I think it's a, probably a similar answer, but why should U.S. multinationals or, frankly, any companies around the world that operate in Europe be focusing on the CSRD? Yeah, so we say, we call them non-EU headquartered companies. So the, the the U.S. headquartered, but anyone else. And it's really because the way that EU rules are structured, they bring in first companies that are have filing on um, an EU regulated exchange, either debt or equity securities. Then they start to bring in companies above a certain size that are um, located in the EU, so like a subsidiary of a non-EU headquartered company. But then finally, and this is where I at least for here want to focus, is that they ultimately will bring in the non-EU headquartered parent Mm -hmm. if they are above a certain size threshold. So what we're seeing for, again, these non-EU companies is that you, many of them are winding up where they have subsidiaries starting to report as early as uh, in 2025 on 2024 information, so information right now. Yep. And then these, um, the reporting for the consolidated group will come in in, in 2029 on 2028 information. So it, it really is bringing in a lot of companies. And again, I think we've talked in tax. You guys have to do a lot of coordination with a lot of your entities around the world. It's the same, you know, very much the same thing. So um, can you give a summary of, of really what's required? And then I'm also interested in like what stakeholders are needed for this? Because this feels a little outside of your typical controllership or accounting. And But I know there's a whole myriad of different things that are potentially required, which can have some tax involved. Yeah. And again, this is like way, way too much information for one sure. podcast. Yeah. So I'll try to just hit some highlights here. But I would encourage um, listeners who want to know more to check out our podcast. We've done um, a number of different episodes covering CSRD. But really, so I've used the acronym CSRD. That's the reporting directive. Under the CSRD, we have reporting requirements, which are the um, European Sustainability Reporting Standards, ESRSs. There are 12 of them to start with, non-sector specific. They cover five E topics, uh, four S topics. No, sorry. Five e-topics. So environmental. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. I see too many acronyms <laughs> here. So there's two cross-cutting standards. Mm-hmm. Then there are five environmental standards. We have four sustainability, or sorry, social standards, and then one governance standard. And I hope my math worked there. So okay. 12. Sorry, not 11. Right. 12. And um, out of those 12 topics, them, they dig into things like climate, biodiversity, your own work source, something called circular economy, which is basically 
you know, are you reusing things and how are they being um, used again and otherwise um, governance and and the like. So they cover across all of those and it involves not just the company itself, but its supply chain. So if you know you are getting in, um, goods from a country, you know, a company in another country, mm-hmm. you are going to need information from them. So even if you're not directly in scope of the CSRD, you may be asked for information from um, a company that is in scope. So that is involved too. The other key thing here is I think for most people in financial reporting, they think about their key stakeholder as investors, but the stakeholders specifically for CSRD include other parties, including your employees, your customers, your community, and others. And you have to consider all the things they're interested in, as well as just you know, investors. So it's a, it's a pretty big change of focus. Sure. You know, I think one of the common themes that we're seeing, I mean, as I think about sustainability, as I think about Pillar 2 and our country-by-country country reporting, is just more disclosure, yes. right? Obviously, more work for filers, taxpayers, companies to, to have to do all this. And then also the need to share information. I think that was pretty interesting that like, hey, if you're getting you know a raw material from a particular country, you're going to need to ask and get additional information for purposes of your reporting. The, you know, the pillar two is another example of that, where if mm-hmm. you're doing a deal, you know, you may need to be able to have an understanding of their historic book basis, for example. Point being is that there's a lot more information that's now going to be shared between parties that otherwise generally would not have shared information. And I'm guessing it's just going to be a cost of doing business or a demand because companies are going to have to comply with these rules and even the sustainability and just say, hey, if you want to continue to do business with us, you want us to buy your raw materials, whatever, we're going to need this information so that we can comply with these rules. It's exactly right. And I and I, I do equate it to tax as well. But it's interesting. We're seeing even in procurement agreements where they're putting into the agreements that people have to be able to provide this type of information. So there is a lot more sharing. I think similar to some issues you may see from the tax side, particularly when you think about country by country tax disclosure, we also hear a lot that people don't want to disclose some of this information because, you know, in some cases it could be proprietary or there's other reasons they may not want to. But again, transparency really is sort of the underlying theme of all of this sustainability disclosure. And is there a revenue threshold for those companies that are in scope of the, for for CSRD specifically? Or what is that? Yeah, so it's very interesting, and I'm going to get my numbers here to make sure I get them right, But uh, because they they just changed the threshold. So as I said, sort of the first tranche of filers are companies that have uh, debtor equity securities listed on an EU-regulated market. So those are the... Pretty easy to identify. Yeah, pretty easy (laughs) to identify, and they have to actually report now. The next group is companies that are large, called large undertakings, and I think... The definition of large is not what we would normally think of. And you have to meet one of or two of three thresholds, the revenue threshold being 50 million in revenue. And if you have 50 million in revenue and then um, 25 million in assets, total assets, and then or 250 employees, so two of the three of those, wow. you would be in scope. Okay. So it's it's not big. Not big. No. And in addition to those large undertakings, you have what's a parent of a large group, which it's the same threshold if you're the parent of companies that would aggregate up to that amount. So again, these are not 
very large thresholds. Those thresholds specifically apply to companies that are located in the EU, and then they're going to be the ones reporting in um, 20, those companies would be 2025, reporting in 2026. There's an additional reporting requirement for non-EU headquartered parent companies that may come into play. Yeah. And actually, let me correct one thing there. Yeah. I think when I was talking, just my US-ness coming out, I said dollars. Those amounts I gave euros. were all in euros. Okay. So that I would be 50, that. That's yeah. my job. Well, it's okay. I, sh- I should have. <laughs> so 50 million euros or tw- um, in okay. revenue, 25 million yeah. euros in assets. And then, yes, yeah, so this non-EU headquartered company uh, requirement is basically if you either have a subsidiary in scope or a branch in the EU – then and you meet another revenue threshold, then you would have to report in 2029 on 2028 information. There will be a different set of standards required to report on the non-EU dedicated standards. We have not seen those yet. So not sure exactly what will be involved in them. They are intended to be less in scope than the um, sector, the non-sector specific standards we've already seen, but more to come on that. Okay. So let's dive in a little bit deeper into some of these reporting options. And this involves something that tax practitioners were very quite familiar with, which is org charts. Yes. Right. So one of the key decisions companies are working through right now is determining the level at which to prepare and file these CSRD reports, as there are a number of factors that inform that determination. Can you share a bit about these decisions and what companies are working through? And I can imagine that tax departments where we often own the org charts, it's usually a combination of us and legal, but tax oftentimes is driving that. I'm guessing some of our tax listeners may start to get questions related to this. Well, and in particular, one of the things that we're seeing driving a lot of reporting is that many companies will have effectively tax holding companies that are, you know, a lot of companies will roll up into. And often those entities are not actually doing separate financial reporting because they're taking other exemptions. But those entities actually likely are would be in scope if they make these size thresholds and then would be subject to reporting under the CSRD even if you're not doing financial reporting. I see. And so I have actually had companies where when we've talked to sort of the, the corporate um, controller or otherwise say, oh, well, this is just a holding company. We're going to dissolve it. And then, of course, if the tax person gets involved, it's like, no, 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 no. You can't just be dissolving holding companies because they're there, you know, for a reason. Interestingly, I do think that that is a trend that, you know, historically before there, particularly where there were major changes to the U.S. international tax rules in 2017 that became effective in 2018, that in fact we now turned us into a real kind of global or tax system, that the the need for holding companies from a tax perspective has, I mean, there, there are still a whole number of reasons as an investment vehicle, for yeah. example. But it's fascinating that you bring this up because in the context of Pillar 2 and just general kind of entity hygiene, as I like to describe it, a lot of companies are looking around being like, all right. I mean, because there's additional filing requirements right, and now right. with Pillar 2, there's additional requirements, there's potentially CSRD now. Yeah. So just another reason for companies to kind of look through the structure and say, hey, is our is our legal entity 
identity structure still fit for purpose and just add CSRD to the myriad of list of administrative burdens that you have. And uh, sometimes there are really good reasons, whether it's business, operational tax for some of those holding companies. But I think oftentimes, whatever that reason was may no longer exist. And now sounds like a good time in addition to pillar two to take a look at those structures. Yes. So I think there's two things here, right? Because one thing I would say is to the controllers and the sustainability department, don't just say to get rid of an entity because you don't want to do the reporting. But on the other hand, to your point, this is a a good opportunity cross-functionally to say, what are all these new regulations? And is there some entity cleanup that we want to consider? So I'm going to hit this very briefly just to run through some of these considerations. But as I said, you could come into scope either because you are sort of a standalone entity in scope, you're holding company in scope, or then there's this non-EU parent that's in scope. And one of the things would be that there is a subsidiary exemption. So if I think about very simple structure, I have a hold co that's in the EU and I have three subsidiaries and those three subsidiaries, two of them are in scope. And so then the hold co is also in scope because mm-hmm. it's above the size. Those two, those two subs would not need to do their own reporting because the parent is doing okay. the reporting. So that's the subsidiary exemption. That one I don't think there's a lot of strategy trying to figure out that's sort of an automatic one. It's what it is. It is what it is. What we do see sometimes, though, is if you have an EU hold code that holds all of your EU entities, then you might say, oh, well, okay, all my EU ones are out of scope because they're not out of scope, but they're going to take this exemption. Yeah. I'm going to report, you know, with this entity at the whole co level. At, yeah, at the whole co level, and you know, it's pretty straightforward. Sometimes, though, we have clients that will say, "Well, they don't have this this sort of intermediate yeah. EU whole co. They either just roll straight up. You have like a flat entity, mm-hmm. or they have several, or their whole co's in the UK, or you know, all these yeah. different things. And so then sometimes they'll say, "Oh, well, I'm going to just jump straight." And I'm going to do consolidated reporting, and because I don't, I, I don't want to report on all these separate subsidiaries, but I would just caution those companies. That means you're bringing all of your company into scope much yeah. sooner than you need to. So that's something you know to think about. An alternative that at least some companies may think about is that you can do something called an artificial consolidation, where you can take those entities that are in scope. And report on them together. And so it kind of takes out some of the noise of of companies that aren't in scope. It lets you report on the ones that are in scope. Um, The only sort of downside there is that that exemption ends in 2030. So you have at least a few years. It's a long time away. I'm that far away, though. (laughs) But yes, I mean, this is definitely... um, Definitely a good alternative, I think, for companies to think about, particularly when they don't have an EU parent. You can think about a, a non-EU parent. It just can get a lot messy or very quickly. I think so. maybe our tax kind of t- timetable is typically a lot shorter than what we see from an accounting standards <laughs> maybe perspective. Maybe so. The fair so enough. Fair that's enough. That's why I say I was like, 2030? <laughs> Holy cow. Far. The tax professionals listening are be like, well, that's forever. But, I know, uh, but the only thing I will say here, if you think about tax, you get all these new tax rules. Even Pillar 2 is new. But it's still tax. 
like you've done tax forever. So it's just a new flavor of tax. If you think of reporting all this information, this is not just a new flavor of accounting. This is a new flavor of information entirely. And I think that is the real challenge is that people are really trying to get their heads around how do I report diversity statistics or how do I figure yeah. out my biodiversity impact or my water usage, my pollution. That is so foreign to many of the people who are reporting. And I think that's where even something, you know, 2030, it, it yeah. could still be. Well, yeah, and I would actually put kind of pillar two in that t- kind of same category that's of really being enough. different. Yes. But I mean, to your point, there's lots of constant law changes around the U.S. or in the EU kind of outside pillar two. And you're yeah. right, like, yeah, it's complicated and, you know, and, and, and challenging for, for taxpayers as well as practitioners. But and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that this is a really, you know, we like to use the word unprecedented. Right. This right. is an unprecedented this is change. Definitely unprecedented. Pillar two is unprecedented. <laughs> and again, it just requires more teaming amongst a variety of different stakeholders, because what really resonates with me is. You know, there may be thing, re, a whole bunch of reasons to clean up legal entity charts to make things kind of fit for purpose under today, but you need to coordinate, right, to make sure you're not doing something that could adversely impact kind of the CSRD or, you know, changing what those positions would be if you're trying to optimize or really just clean up your, your tax structure. Yeah, and I think it's a really good and fair point because, you know, you were just on talking about um, Pillar 2 on my podcast. And one of the things you talked about is cross-functional team and all the different considerations and otherwise. And you have the same thing here and that you will, you're going to need a cross-functional team. And I can only imagine these two cross-functional teams working in their own silos. And then there really are some considerations that you need to consider. You, we've mentioned some of these other EU directives as well that also probably yeah. need to be layered in. So there's a lot of moving parts to think about. And you don't want to be making any of these decisions in a vacuum. Right. And I assume data for this, I mean, I'm just the comparisons with Pillar 2. A lot of this data may not exist or companies are looking looking to establish this? I mean, this isn't something, presumably it's going to be found in an ERP system, right? These are new processes that companies need to put in to get this and collect this data. A hundred percent. And unlike what you've described for Pillar 2, where you've kind of identified all the data points and really have started to help develop some systems for them, I think this is at a, a or a bit of an earlier stage for a lot of companies, because even companies that are currently doing sustainability reporting, often they're not getting assurance on that information. There is an assurance requirement with CSRD, starting with limited assurance and then moving to reasonable assurance. And I bring that up because I think the combination of assurance plus often having a lot more scrutiny on this information is that maybe practices before that would work is like, oh, um, we're tracking our water usage, so let's email around to all the locations and they can each fill in you know, their number <laughs> and then that's the number that winds up in the report and then maybe next year someone else is doing it so they do it a different way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This I, sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought I, I have looked at some uh, tax numbers along the way. And in any event... You, that's, that practice is not going to work. You no. have to put in the right internal controls, and you really have to think about data. And we only touch on this briefly, but you do have, for many companies where maybe they're doing CSRD in the EU, they're going to be doing California reporting. They're going to be, for example, Australia is mm-hmm. looking at adopting those ISSB standards. And 
now I'm reporting all of those. Some information I'll need for all three, some I'll need for one, and otherwise, so if you don't have the right data structure and the right tagging, you're gonna wind up recreating the wheel oh, yeah. over and over, and you, you don't wanna do that. So thinking through what's required and what data is required up front, and putting the right processes in place up front, now you can see why I said 2030 is not that yeah. far away. <laughs> Dripping with similarities from pillar two. So, all right, one hot topic that has been tax transparency. And I think this is one of the things that's kind of challenging for tax people to understand and how this fits in with the ESG and ultimately sustainability reporting. Um, so whether it's country by country reporting or other initiatives from standard centers and regulations, so how does the sustainability reporting inform tax transparency discussion? What does that mean for our tax listeners? So it's a very interesting question. And actually, there's not a specific individual requirement for tax transparency in the CSRD um, or in the directive. But this is a topic that actually has come up quite frequently because I think you will obviously have talked before about, you know, fairness in tax yep. and are you paying the right amount in the right jurisdictions and otherwise. And so in CSRD, part of your process is you have something called um, double materiality. And this is so that you're not just thinking from financial materiality, but you're also thinking about your impact materiality. And so again, your impact on the community, impact on workers, all these different impacts. As part of that, you would be identifying these material sustainability matters. And the question that you can ask is, well, is tax a material sustainability matter? Mm -hmm. Again, as soon as you think about the fact of, are you paying fair taxes in that jurisdiction? Yeah. Are you, you know, uh, property between pro you know, and it's not just income tax, obviously property and other sure. tax. Yeah. Then many people will step back and say for many, if not most, if not all companies, tax is one of those matters. Now, again, it is something that's still being talked about, but I think as a, a tax person, and again, when you think about um, pillar two and otherwise, yeah. then there is a direct intersection here that this idea of disclosing your tax information, it, it's in, again, likely to be something that would be material when you think of the right. how significant yeah, and, it is. And in fact, Heather, I had uh, um, Tad Fowler, who's vice, a senior vice president of tax and a treasurer at, at Procter & Gamble, talk about P&G's approach to um, their transparency. And they have published some documents. For those that are interested, you can check out that podcast. He explained kind of P&G's rationale. Yeah. Not required at this point for, for companies or particularly for P&G, but something that they felt that they wanted to disclose. And it'll be interesting to see if additional multinationals take similar approaches. Certainly P&G is not the only one that has mm -hmm. done that. And then ultimately to be interesting, does that end up becoming a requirement at some point? Um, and then that intersection with pillar two and the global minimum tax will be interesting to see how all that develops. Yeah. And I also think, you know, there, um, the global reporting initiative, GRI is a voluntary standard setter, but they do have a standard for tax disclosure at GRI 207. And we do see a number of companies that follow that. And again, I don't want to get too far ahead here because, you know, our firm is still discussing it. Companies, to your point, are still discussing it. But if you really step back and start to look at some of these definitions, it's hard to see how you would say that tax and, and how much tax you're paying and some of your tax structuring is not 
something that would be disclosed. All right. So last question here for the tax practitioners that are listening to this and want to know what should they look out for as their sustainability counterparts are working through all of these new requirements that we described and really what words of advice do you have for my, for my tax listeners on how to get in the game and how to support their organization than this, what is going to be a very challenging endeavor also knowing everything else that yes. the, the tax, <laughs> the tax folks have on our plates. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you, to your point, you do have to balance this with everything else you're doing, but I do think it's important to at least understand where your company is does CSRD apply? Do these California rules apply? You know, what are some of the other rules that that companies uh, or your company is looking at? Again, this we are not we didn't go deeply into the ISSB, but they have some of the similar ideas on that could bring in some tax transparency and otherwise. So I would highly recommend understanding that. I would also make sure before entity changes are being made that tax is part of that conversation and that you understand. Or we love that. Yes. Well, also <laughs> it could be you're looking at the org chart and saying. Oh, actually, we don't need that entity. That could also be helpful. So it it really, I think, is an important part of that conversation. And then I also think understanding where the discussion of tax transparency is going is important. And, you know, you are also contributing to, as you think about some of who the important stakeholders are, some of your stakeholders may be important stakeholders from a sustainability point of view. So I'd also encourage making sure. So again, maybe not being in every sustainability conversation, I don't think you have time for that, but making sure you're well looped in, understanding where the organization is going and that you're making your contribution and and talking about some of these transparency and other issues, I think will be critically important. Cross-functioning teaming, I love it. Exactly. All right, well, Heather, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on. It was a pleasure to to be on your podcast. Check out um, Heather's PwC accounting podcast, two a week. I get like one out every two weeks. And so um, I love the, um, uh, the ambition and your podcast and thanks for having me on and thanks for coming on to yes, uh, the Cross Border well, Tax Talks. Yes, thanks for joining me and again for all of your listeners, please in particular check out the episode that Doug was on because it's fantastic and uh, it's very interesting and maybe familiar to you but still some some good reminders we, As a caveat, we did cover it at a pretty high level. But, Fair uh, enough, but still you, you might get that little nugget of knowledge. to share with some of the, those in your accounting yes, department. Exactly, so, all right. very fair. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Cross-Border Tax Talks. Thank you, Heather Horn, PwC's U.S. Assurance Strategic Thought Leader and host of the PwC Accounting Podcast. I'm Doug McConey, PwC's International Tax Services Global Leader. Stay tuned for another exciting edition of the Cross-Border Tax Talks podcast. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.